Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In our episode today, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer is continuing through a series called Families by the Book. In this series, we started out looking at what God's Word sets in place for marriage and what that looks like. We are now looking at what biblical parenting looks like in the home. Over the last two weeks, Heath introduced three parenting priorities, TLC, time, love, and correction. We looked at love in our last gathering, and if you missed it, you can access it from our podcast history. In today's talk, we look at the third priority, correction. If you are in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. We started out with marriage, moved on to parenting, and I'm just going to confess to you right now, it is with great fear and trepidation that I come before you this morning, sort of like, and those are Paul's words. When Paul wrote the, the first Corinthians to them, and I personally believe that was his sorrowful letter, it's because it was, a, it was a difficult message to receive, and I'm telling you, if it's a difficult message to receive, it's a difficult message to give. And so this morning's message, frankly, I just find it a difficult message because we're finishing our series on parenting, TLC, not time, love, or time, love, and correction, not tender, love, and care, but hopefully you remember it that way, time, love, and correction. Time is an easy message to preach. Everybody agrees with it. You know, hey, we got to spend more time with the kids. Man, I wish I spent more time with my kids. We need to be bringing up our children to know God's word. Amen. Uh, Love. Amen, brother. We got to love our kids. We got to show them that we care deeply about them. But more than that, that we need to behave in a loving way toward them. Today, we're on the C of TLC, and that's correction. Okay, and to have to be balanced in our parenting, we can't just be our kid's buddy and spend time with him, and we can't just be this care bearer, just oozing love all over our children all the time. Uh, you've seen kids where the parents just pour out love on the children, they still end up rebelling. Why? Uh, because a lot of times, if there's a component of TLC that parents want to ignore, it's the C. Because, uh, frankly, it's the hardest part. Because we do deeply love our kids. We care about them. And it's difficult to bring correction into a child's heart, to hold them to a standard of obedience that God requires parents to require. And so it's a difficult difficult passage. So for that, though, we're going to open up to Ephesians 6. And this morning, we're just going to preach what God says about it. We will give you some practical applications. You do with that what you will. But we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And we're going to begin by answering the question of what is obedience? Paul got done speaking with mom and dad first. And again, anytime the Bible speaks on parents and children, he always speaks on the mom and dad first because it's the nest of the home. You're not going to raise great, healthy well-adjusted children if your relationship with mom and dad isn't healthy. And so God always speaks to the mom and dad first and then the children and the same follows here. So after speaking about husbands and wives and their relationship together, God turns his attention to the child. And the first thing he says is children, Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And we're just gonna pause there. I want you to see here that Paul is identifying children. It's the Greek word techna, which just refers to any of your offspring of any age child that is still under parental care. In other words, they're not viewed by society as an adult yet. And so this is 
uh, addressed to children of all ages, not just zero to four, zero to five or six. This is children who are under their parents' care. And the first responsibility of a child who is living under the parent's roof and according, you know, they're, they're paying for everything for you is he requires them to be obedient, okay? It's a Greek word that means to listen under the parents. Listen under is, a, is kind of an, an odd way to view obedience, uh, but that's exactly how the Bible defines it, that a child is listening under his parents. And it's the same word used uh, in Acts chapter 12. When Peter was released from prison, he's banging on the door. We've used that illustration before. He's banging on the door. Rhoda comes to the door, and the, the Bible talks about her. This uses the same word. She's listening at the door for Peter. She's listening to hear what he's saying so that she can take action. She's listening. Who is it? It's Peter. Let me in so that she can run and and act on it. That's the word God uses for obedience with a child. It's more than just getting them to comply. It's getting a child, uh, their heart pointed toward mom and dad so that they're attentively listening to what mom and dad have to say with the intention of they plan to act on what mom and dad say. That's biblical obedience. To say that children are to obey the parents in the Lord is that obedience to parents is not mom and dad's idea. This is God's idea. We obey them in the Lord. We obey parents because God has demanded that children obey mom and dad. This isn't just something mom and dad came up with to try to control the home. This is what God desires. And so when a child obeys their parents, he's obeying God by obeying the parents. Furthermore, he says, for this is right. We've done parenting trainings all around the world, and I'll tell you something that we hear, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, some parents resist the idea of making their child obey them. Well, I don't want my child to obey me. I don't like to have to obey people, so I don't want my child to obey. But the problem is, what does God say about children obeying parents? It's right. This is what God says is the right way to operate a home. And so regardless of how society feels about children obeying parents and requiring obedience from our children, God says that is exactly what we should be building into our children. It's the very first and foundational thing. Without obedience, what can you do with a child? You can't do much of anything. Those of you, we got a lot of school teachers in here, don't we? School teachers, what's the very first thing you have to do when you get a brand new class in, first part of the year? Do you get to just jump right into teaching them geometry? Or if they're younger children, do you get to just jump right into ABCs? No, that comes like a month down the road if they're young, what do you have to do? You have to first establish classroom order and to teach them to honor the teacher and to respect the teacher, to obey the teacher, because without that, what can you do? You're just gonna pull your hair out. They aren't gonna listen to anything. And so the same thing in the home. You can't just jump into teaching them about Jesus and sharing the gospel. Their heart is hard. The first thing you've got to do is create a certain amount of order in the home. And God says, this is right. It's the right way to do it. Now, biblically, when we talk about obedience, there's several different ways you could describe obedience in the Bible. We're just gonna look at a few. But for obedience to be biblical obedience, first of all, A, it must be immediate obedience or it's not obedience at all. Psalm 119.60 says, without delay, I hurry to obey your commands. That the psalmist here wasn't just gonna put it off until it was a good time for him. He says, without delay, and I hurry. Furthermore, Hebrews rather, 3, verses 7 to 8, God says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. God says, Today. God's, God gives obedience a certain time limit. It's not obedience if it's delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's how God sees it. And so God, whether you're an adult or whether we're children, when God tells us to do something, we either obey right away or 
we're doing something else. What does Hebrews say that is? When we delay our obedience, today if we hear God's voice and we don't respond, what does God call that? He says, do not harden your hearts. When God says do something, we say maybe later, or I'll think about it, maybe I'll do it. God calls that the hardening of your hearts, that we're becoming resistant to God. We won't allow him to mold us. God says, don't do that like in the day of rebellion. What he's talking about there is Kadesh Barnea. When Israel is waiting to go in the land, God said, take the land, I'm gonna give you the land. Israel looks, oh boy. Yeah, there's a lot of big grapes in there and stuff, but you know, there's giants that live in that land. So, oh no, what do you think, guys? Let's put it to a vote. Should we go in? Should we not go in? Should we go in? Should we not go in? And God called that hardening their heart. Instead of just trusting God, today, hear my voice, respond. They said, mm, I don't know, let's think about this. And God wiped out an entire generation of humans for not obeying right away. And so delayed obedience is disobedience, and that's the way God sees it. Hardening in heart is the term God uses. When, when we don't allow God to immediately shape us into the mold that God wants us to be. Because, you know, God's goal for you is not just to save you from hell, right? That's not just God's intention. God's intention is to make you a disciple. God's intention is to make you look and act like Jesus. To create and shape and form this Christian so that we have heavenly and not worldly values, but heavenly ones. He wants to transform our affections so that what we want from life is not what everybody else out there in the world wants, just a really nice home, really nice car, great Disney vacations, and just fun and entertainment the whole time because that is, this world is their heaven. I mean, that's the best they have to hope for. But for Christians, God just wants to transform and mold us to be and act like Jesus. For that, we can't be hardened. You ever play with Plato? I grew up, Plato was a big deal. I don't know when it first came out. I think it was quite a while. I think it's been out quite a while, but uh, Plato was a really fun toy because it didn't matter how old you were. It didn't matter if you were a boy, if you were a girl, Plato was a good time. And uh, you, you had all these different colors and uh, your little brother would always mix it together and turn this ugly, awful gray. But, and, and we would get these tools, you know, you ever get the friends? I never had these, my friends had the tools, you know, and you could squeeze it out, you could cut it like they do on the commercials. We all love Plato, don't we? What made Plato fun? You know, you could roll it into a ball, throw it at your brother. You could uh, make horses. If you like horses, boys, they would always make things like cars with, you know, 15 rocket launchers and machine guns on them because that's what boys do, or at least my boy did. And so that's, you can have fun because whatever is in your mind, whatever you want that clay to become, it can become. Unless you let your little brother play with your Play-Doh because what would he do? He didn't respect the Play-Doh like you did. He might leave the lid off or leave the lid cracked open. He was not careful with your Play-Doh. You come back maybe a couple months later and you look at your Play-Doh and what is it? You open it up and you feel like you're in a cave with stalactites and mites, you know. It's like this salt structure is growing out of this Play-Doh. That, has that ever happened to yours? And this salt structure is growing out because this Play-Doh has hardened. It wasn't protected and so it, it became hard. You ever... Try this, you go home and you get two kids and you put nice soft Play-Doh in front of one kid and say, have fun. And the other kid, you just put one of that lump of crystalline structure in front of him. Have fun. I hope this entertains you for hours. How's the child gonna do with that Play-Doh? He's gonna be bored real quick because it's no fun. All you can do is break <laughs> that Play-Doh and there's nothing you can do with it. It's not entertaining, so you throw it away. This is what God is talking about. When we don't obey God right away, when children do not obey parents right away, God calls it the hardening of your heart. It's a dangerous situation for our heart to be in, that we get hard-hearted toward God, that we, don't, we, don't, we resist God. We resist allowing him to change and mold us. Do you know where children first learn to be molded by God? It's mom and dad. 
If you want your child's heart to be soft toward the Lord, to be soft toward God taking the gospel and shaping his heart like Jesus, you want your child's heart to be soft to allow God to mold them and shape them into a godly Christian when they're older, it begins a lot earlier than you may think. Zero to five, if if you were just to ask me what the most formative years and whether or not a child grows up with a hard or a soft heart, the most formative years are those zero to five years. And they learn to follow God by following mom and dad first. So if you really care about your children learning to follow the lordship of Jesus Christ, they first must learn how to children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's where it begins. And so obedience must be immediate. But obedience, uh, before I move on to there, I just want to give you one more example here. Charles Spurgeon here. uh, He wrote, obedience is for the present tense. It must be prompt or it's nothing. Obedience respects the time of the command as much as any other part of it. To hesitate, he says, is to be disloyal, and to halt and consider whether to obey or not is rebellion. That's Spurgeon. So you get mad at him. Don't get mad at me. You get mad at him. That's why preachers quote people, by the way. So you don't get mad at me. You get mad at the guy that I'm quoting. But this is what Spurgeon said. And think about it. When, obey, when Abraham obeyed God, what he, was it immediate or was it maybe someday down the road? He immediately obeyed God. Leave your land. Do some crazy things, Abraham. Nobody else has done this before. I'm going to introduce you to an interest, interesting little rite called circumcision. What is that, Lord? What's it in the Hebrew? You know, oh, this is Hebrew. Okay, so he wants to, this is a scary thing to do. It's a painful, difficult, awkward thing to do. And yet God commanded not just Abraham, but all of his servants. Can you imagine introducing that concept to a bunch of, bunch of men that work in your household? All right, guys, line up. God has something he want us, wants us to do. Jimmy, you come forward. Let's demonstrate, okay? It's, it's an awkward experience. It's a painful experience. It's a weird experience. You're gonna stand out from the rest of the world. But you know what Genesis 17, 23 says? It says, on that very day, the very day that God commanded it, Abraham responded to that very difficult and very painful procedure because God asked it. The disciples, when Jesus called them, what'd they do? Matthew 4, 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their whole livelihood, everything that they could trust in for themselves, they left it behind immediately and followed Jesus because that's what obedience looks like. Delayed obedience is disobedience. B, obedience must also be full. What we're saying here is partial obedience is disobedience. When you only do a little bit of what God said, you remember the story, Genesis? You read this, you read about it as a kid. Not a nicer version of it, but in the beginning, when the, God created Adam and Eve and they had Cain and Abel, God required of mankind to offer a sacrifice. Did both Cain and Abel offer a sacrifice? Yes. Were they both obedient? You're slow to answer that one. Were, were Cain and Abel both obedient? They offered a sacrifice like God asked, but were they both obedient? No, they were not. You see, Cain. He had a better idea. Abel offered up clearly the blood sacrifice that God demanded. Cain had a better idea. He's like, well, how about these here crops that I personally grow? I'm just gonna offer those to God. So I'm going to obey God, but only insofar as it makes sense to me. And God calls that disobedience. Saul, God tells Saul, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites, King Agag, kill them all. What did Saul do? He, he, I mean, all the way from the northern to the southern kingdom, he struck the Amalekites. He obeyed God, and he even did it right away. 
but was Saul obedient to the Lord? No, he spared, it says, the best of the animals, and only the worthless animals, it says, he devoted to destruction. So he obeyed God, but only partially. And God saw that as such an egregious offense to him that it was partial obedience that God struck him, took away his kingdom, and took away his sons. And so God does not see partial obedience as obedience at all. See, obedience must also be with honor. It's not enough that we just modify our child's behavior. Our, their obedience has to go from their, hand, uh, from their hands to their heart. God wants both. He doesn't just want external conformity, does he? He wants our children from the heart to be listening under the parents, to desire to please the parents in the Lord because God demands it, because it is right. And so God's, uh, God says in verse two, not just children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, but what? Honor your father and mother. He wants the obedience to be from the heart. Now, children's obedience doesn't usually start from the heart. It starts with external conformity, but over time, it should come to a place where it's coming from their heart. And so we require our children to obey, but in an honoring way, not in a scowling kind of way. This word honor means to reverence or esteem that a child thinks highly of their parents such that they want to please them. Why shouldn't a parent just be content with external conformity? I asked them to do this, they did this. They're like, you know, and they're doing the dishes or whatever you asked them to do. Why is that not obedience? Because it's not honoring. And if we allow that to remain, we are training our children that external conformity is all that obedience requires. Who else in the Bible was external, externally conforming to the law of God, but internally their hearts were far from him? Well, it's the Jews any number of times. Read Isaiah 1. Uh, but it was the Pharisees, wasn't it? Jesus says, you clean the outside of the dish so that you look good to others. It's external conformity, but inside, what is it? It's filthy, it's dirty. He says, your whitewashed tombs looks beautiful on the outside. Inside, you're dead men's bones. Jesus was not, con uh, Jesus was not content with simple external conformity. He, wanted us, he wants even us today as adults to obey God from the heart that the reason you come to church on Sunday morning is because you want to be here. The reason you give, it's not because you feel like you have to, it's because you want to, you believe in what God is doing. It's why you serve, it's not because you feel guilty or because somebody encouraged you to serve, it's because you want to serve. That's where God wants all of his children to be, that we serve God from the heart, that it isn't just external conformity, but we desire to be a part of what God is doing. And God says that learning that behavior begins as a small child, zero to five that we learn to obey our parents from the heart. We honor them, we esteem them highly, and the reason we obey is because we desire to. And so that's why as parents, we require our children to obey externally until the inside of them catches up. It's why a lot of times parents, they'll require their children to show respect, you know, before maybe they feel it, you know. That's why I, we had to say things like, yes ma'am, yes sir. Like, oh, I hate that, it's so formal. I'm not saying it's Bible. I'm just saying it's one way that some parents have chosen to have their children demonstrate respect. When I was a kid, I was taught, up, you taught that when a man comes and shakes your hand, you stand up. It was just a way to, it's not Bible, but it was a way that culturally that we could show honor to those who are older. I was taught that when, you, when a man talks to you, you look him in the eyeballs. It shows respect. I was taught that when you speak back, you don't just mumble a response, you know, but that we speak clearly, we enunciate, because speaking in a way that they can understand shows respect, and we require that of our children until their hearts mature enough that it catches up to their behavior. But we never just settle for external 
conformity. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, this people, the Israel, they had gotten to a place of just external conformity. He says, with, they honor me with their lips. They come to church. They sing the songs. He says, but their heart is far from me. Was Jesus happy with simple external conformity? No, he wanted us to honor God from the heart, not just to do religious things to get out of hell. He wanted us to come to a place where we honor him from the heart. Number two, we see that there's some benefits to obedience and honor. What does the Bible say here in verse two? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and then he tells you what the promise is, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. He's quoting Exodus chapter 20, which is talking about, you know, the Ten Commandments. If you know where those are located, now you do. Exodus 20. And in that, you'll see a number of basic commands for life that God gives mankind, but one of these commands is unique in that God gives a special promise just for obeying that command. He says, if you honor and obey your parents, he says, there's a special blessing of God that comes with that for you as a child. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You like living this land flowing with milk and honey? You want to stay here? You like having the blessing of God? You like that none of these diseases that the other nations are experiencing, they don't come upon you? You like being healthy? Honor your father and mother. That's, that's the promise of God there. And you know what? Jesus brings that into the New Testament. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that God gives blessing for the obedience to parents. In fact, if you look at all the passages that talk about end times, one of the signs of the end times, of the apocalypse, is that children will be disobedient to parents. Did you realize that? That's one of the signs of the end times, is that as a nation, our children will become increasingly disrespectful and increasingly disobedient to parents. That when the home breaks down, the rest of society is soon to follow. That's why God puts such a high priority on this. God promises blessing, though, in other places. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4, he says, this is a dad speaking to his boy. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. In other words, keep the, there it is again. Keep my commandments, that's obedience. What's from the heart? That's the honor. He says, and what will you get for honor and obedience? He says, for length of days and years of life and peace they'll add to you, and so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Parents, do you want what's best for your kids? I mean, I, there's not too many parents out there like, you know, who are praying the imprecatory psalms on their children. I hope God judges them. And we want what's best for our kids. But you know how God says they, what's, we get what's best for them? It's through honor and obedience and requiring that. What is Proverbs three right here promise or, or assure us of that if our children are obedient and honoring to us, that will characterize their life. He says for length of days, it means the child's gonna live a long life. He's not gonna be foolish because he's obedient and honoring to parents. He's not gonna drive 95 miles an hour and wrap your tree or their car around a telephone pole or something. They're gonna be obedient. They're not gonna die a fool's death that they may live long. He says, and then years of life, doesn't refer to just more years, but that the years that you possess in life are more fulfilling, they're years of life. He says, they'll also experience favor, that you'll, have, you'll be good with other relationships. If you can be good with your parental relationship, it sets you on a path to be good in other relationships. Teachers, friends, police, laws of the land. And then he also promises peace, that their life will be full of peace, that it's gonna be uncontentious, they're gonna be happy. And then he promises good success. 
You wanna do well in life? You want your kids to do well? Parents, let me make you a promise. You have a child that you focus on academics when they're zero to five, and you have a child that you focus on their character zero to five. I promise you, by the time they graduate from high school, the child where the parents focused on their character and godliness, that child will far outpace the child who learned to say his ABCs first. We focus on a child's character. The Bible says that obedience and honor to parents, he says, that will bring you good success and you'll do well in life. What's the alternative? It's allowing our children to not honor us. Does the child who learns not to honor his parents still maybe obey because he has to, because you're bigger than them? Does the child who dishonors his parents, is there a special promise from God for them as well? There is. And you're gonna find that also in Proverbs, a wealth of wisdom there. Proverbs verse 30, chapter 30, verse 17 says, the eye that mocks his father and scorns to obey a mother, in other words, he's still obeying mom, but how's he doing it? Scornfully. I resent you that you make me do something. A child that is allowed to dishonor his parents, the eye that mocks his father, he may not be saying anything, but his eyes are. The eyes are the window of our soul. You can tell a lot about what's going on in a child's heart by just looking at their eyes. The eye that mocks his father. Maybe it rolls his eyes. <laughs> you know, the child who's scorning and who's angry, who's rebellious, who's mocking their parents. What does God promise for that child's future? He says, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be, is that in the Bible? It will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. Did I read that correctly? Okay. Uh, you don't see their verse on too many nursery walls, do you? For a reason, it kind of reads like a German fairy tale. You know, it's kind of dark. Never read the actual Little Mermaid. It's gonna ruin the Disney movie for your kids, but it, it, it feels dark. You're like, what? this is in my Bible? You know, do I threaten my children? Obey me, or dad's gonna bring out the pet raven, you know. What is this actually saying here? In what condition in life is your eye gonna get plucked out by a bird? Answer, it's not, except one. See, the Jews, even when you're dead, they would, they would bury their dead in hopes, you know, belief that it, was, it represented a seed that God will bring it up one day into eternal life. But if you committed a capital offense, your life is lived in rebellion against God, a capital offense, they would execute you and they would take your body unceremoniously and it would be thrown outside the gates of the city and it would be left there on the top of the ground for the animals to consume as a sign that God's judgment is upon this person. They were living the life of an unsaved person someone who does not honor God. And the first people on the scene, well, people, first critters on the scene would be the birds, the ravens, the vultures. And they would come up, and, but they wouldn't immediately start devouring just somebody laying on the ground. They gotta make sure it's dead first, don't they? So what are they gonna do? They're gonna go up to the eyeballs and they're gonna peck out the eyes. Because the idea is, if, you, if a person won't protect their eyeballs, they're dead. And if they're dead, I can safely consume this corpse. And so the thought is that a child doesn't commit capital offenses, but was really a great kid. Generally, when you have somebody who torpedoes their life later in life, it's because it started out as a, a process. They were naughty, disobedient kids when they were little. They were naughty and disobedient young children. They were naughty and disobedient teenagers who then grew up into adult bodies, who still rejected authority, still rejected God, re flaunted the laws of the land. The Bible says, that criminals, career criminals, they start out somewhere. Now, it doesn't mean if your kid is disobedient, he's gonna get executed. But the Bible does 
say that that is the trajectory of a child who never learns honor and obedience as a child. They learn to obey that first in the home. Number three, there's a command straight up to discipline. If we go, if you move on in Ephesians chapter six, you know, we've read, you know, verses one through three, but if uh, you look at verse four, it says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger. We studied that last week, so we won't do that this week. He says, but bring them up in the, and here's the two words I want you to focus on. If you're, if you're a Bible marker, circle these two words. Discipline and admonition, or discipline and instruction in the Lord. These two words often will go together in the Bible. Later on, we're gonna see the Bible will connect rod and reproof, discipline and instruction. But discipline and rod always come before instruction and reproof. Why? It's because a sinning heart, a heart that's rebelling against God, and that's what sin is, it's a rebellion against God, a heart that is sinning cannot receive truth from God. Have you ever tried to, to lecture a child? They just, ah, and they're tuning you out. They have no heart to receive what you've got to give them because there has not been a discipline first. It's the same thing with us. Does God first give us discipline before instruction? All the time. Instruction, by the way, is just a word that means to place into the mind. But you can't place anything into their mind until there's first discipline. And this word discipline is one of those words that originally meant instruction, but the way it was used in their society, the meaning actually meant the rod. And I'll, I'll show you later in the Bible where it equates the two. It's sort of like in our culture, if you say, you know, if you look up in the dictionary, gay, what are you going to read? Happy. Is that what happy means in our culture? Mm, nope. <laughs> means something a whole lot different, doesn't it, in our culture? That's this word. It's a word that originally meant to instruct, but colloquially, the way that it was used in that culture, and even in the Bible here, it means discipline. And later on, the Bible equates discipline with the rod. So discipline here isn't even just simply timeouts or you know other things like that, though that can be a form of instruction. But the Bible will attach that to a rod later. Now, God does this with us. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse five, he says, my son, we have a fatherly relationship with God. My son, he says, do not regard lightly the, there it is, discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And then he equates the word chastises with discipline and chastises every son who he receives. So if we belong to God, every one of us will receive chastisement of God because often if our hearts are sinning against God, we're not ready to receive God's word. I can preach all day long, but if your heart isn't soft to God, you're gonna walk out of this place the exact same way you came in. How does God soften up a heart so that it's now fertile ground to receive the word of God like you do in farming? Do you just throw seeds on the top of hard soil? Birds are gonna eat them. It's not gonna go anywhere. What do you have to first do? You have to break up that ground in a difficult, painful experience, if you will, for the ground. It breaks it up. Now it can receive the seed. It's the same thing with a, with a child's heart. It's the same thing with an adult heart. Often God's word has no place in our heart until God first tills up the ground, which means he brings pain and suffering into our life. And he breaks up the, the hardened heart, and then he can bring in instruction. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11, when it talks about the Lord's Supper, it says some of us, we don't readily receive the truth of the word of God, and we're not examining our hearts, we're not getting close to God, and what does God have to bring? He says, for this reason, some of you are sick, and some of you are dead. 
that sometimes God as a parent will use difficult and painful experiences in life to break up our hard hearts so that we can receive the truth of the word of God so that God can once again shape us and form us to become like Christ. He says, and so the same thing is true with our children. There's discipline and admonition. The Bible says God chastises every son he receives. That word chastises, go ahead, do your little Greek studies. I know some of you guys have little tools, study it. It's a word that means a whipping. In fact, the root word literally is whip. The Lord whips every son that he receives. If we belong to God and when we sin, God is faithful to, if you will, whip us. Now, we don't, I don't have lashes on my back here. God brings in painful and difficult circumstances to break up our heart to get it ready to obey God. That's what he's talking about. God does that with us. And so that's why God requires that of parents. I'm not saying lash your child to a post and whip him. I'm not talking, don't, don't picture some Catholic nun slapping a ruler in anger. This isn't the kind of discipline we're talking about. We'll explain that a little better later. But this is what God is talking about. Before we talk any more about that, though, let's say what discipline is not. Spanking, discipline, whatever you want to call it, it's not child abuse. I was just waiting for somebody to cry out in anger. Uh, our society would, though, wouldn't it? They try to convince you that any kind of discipline with a child, any kind of use of the rod is violence, is child abuse. Now, there is an abusive form of this. Can we acknowledge that? And it's probably why many, even Christian parents, are loath to use a rod with their own child. It's because you've seen it done wrongly, haven't you? You've seen the people disciplining their children in anger, and it's repugnant to you, and it should be. You've seen people just working their kids over, doing it violently, leaving marks and wounds and hurting their children. That's, that is abuse. And friends, if we're aware of it as a church, we're required by law to report that. But let me tell you, it's not considered child abuse. In fact, uh, I have driven around with lots of policemen in multiple different states and places around the country where we have served. And uh, in one particular case, I was in Orlando riding around with a fellow uh, officer named Vernon Brown. And, uh, and we went to a, a domestic whatever, and we got a conversation going about spanking and things. I said, is, is that something that you would bring somebody in for, for spanking these days? Have things changed a lot since I was a kid? He said, no. He says, quite in fact, he says, even if it's discovered that they have marks, you know, temporary marks, on their bottom or their upper leg, he says, rather than bring them in, we will thank them for making our job easier. I've confirmed that with policemen in our own area. It's not illegal. In fact, in the great state of Kentucky, teachers can still discipline their children. Not sure if it happens. Uh, but it's not illegal. So uh, now people may frown on it when, you know, if you do that in public because we have villainized spanking. But it's not child abuse. Be abuse is reprehensible, but spanking is not abuse. In fact, the Bible says, Bible's words, not mine. Don't shoot the messenger. The Bible actually says it's hateful not to spank a child. Did you know that? The Bible uses those terms. It's hateful not to use the rod with a child. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod, what's your the Bible say? Hates his son. Have you ever heard the term uh, spare the rod, spoil the child? Now you know. It comes right here from Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Now why would a parent ever spare the rod? It's because we think it's doing some kind of long-lasting damage to the child. Oh, it's breaking his spirit. It's going to teach him violence. It's going to whatever. We have all these humanistic ideologies in our head. But those ideologies didn't come from God because what does God say? Whoever spares the rod hates his child. 
But he who loves him is actually concerned about the child's future and not just his momentary happiness. It says is diligent to discipline. That word diligent is a word that means to rise up early in the morning. What do you get up early in the morning for? You get up in the early in the morning for just a few things in life. You don't like getting up early in the morning any more than I do. You get up early for work, don't you? Set that alarm, because if you don't go to work, what happens? You got no Christmas presents, you, don't, you can't pay the bills, it's important to you, so you get up early for it. You make sure if nothing else happens, I get to work and I get there on time or early. You get up early for planes, because if I don't, I lose a lot of money and maybe it blows my entire vacation, so I'm gonna get to that airport, I'm gonna get there early. We get to the airport sometimes two hours early, because it's important to us. That's the word diligent to discipline here. We realize that discipline is such an important component of parenting, we are diligent, we rise early for it. We are making sure that it takes place in our home when it's necessary, because we see the value, the importance of what God says here. It says that is actually loving a child. Let me respond to another common protest. Uh, I don't wanna spank my child because it teaches them to respond to things in a violent way. Have you heard that? I've heard it a lot. Um, is spanking violence? What is violence? Violence is, is something that wounds somebody else and you're intending harm for them. You're doing it in anger, you, you despise it, you don't want the well-being, you want the opposite of that for the person. You want their pain and their suffering. Spanking is not violence. In fact, even though it's painful, it's, it's not violent. It doesn't cause lasting harm or if it does, you're doing it wrong. But all pain is not abuse. Can we acknowledge that? All pain is not abuse. Any of you guys ever had surgery? You've had, most of you, a lot of you. Um, was that a violent act on your body? No, it was not a violent act, it was a painful act. It was a shocking act. Did it teach you to go out, you, those of you who've had tonsils out, did you ever have a predilection to just go out and take a scalpel to work and say, hey, open up? Did it teach you violence? No, of course not, because it was intended to do good for you and you received it that way. It was, you, you're grateful for it, it's a loving act. In the same way, you ever pull a splinter out of a child's finger? My dad had this little blue tackle box, and I would shudder. When I'd get, I got splinters all the time, because I played outside without shoes or anything, grew up on a farm, and he would open that up, and he would, he would have a lighter and a needle, your parents ever do that? And he would light it, and I'd watch that needle in fear. It would turn red hot, and I'm thinking, he's gonna stick me with that, and he did. And so he would actually dig away at my finger, the fingertip one of the most sensitive places on your body, and he's like gouging away, and I'm like, ah, I'm in pain. And he would, ex he would dig into my skin and expose the edge of that, and he'd take these like needle nose, not pliers, but like needle nose tweezers, and he would press into the wound that he just created, and he'd press into that wound, and he would pull that splinter out with tremendous pain, and it was painful, but was that violent? It was painful, but not violent, wasn't it? In fact, I was grateful for it. I don't have to lose my finger to an infection. And so a child does not receive all pain as violence. In fact, it's a very loving act. And surprisingly, you know, I didn't go to school the next day with a lighter and needles. Hey, Billy, I got something I want to do to you. It didn't teach me violence because it wasn't a violent act. The same thing with spanking. Spanking can be a violent thing with parents. If you're doing it in anger and you're just grabbing the nearest blunt object and swinging at kids, yeah, you're... You're teaching them violence. But if you are a calm and you're doing it lovingly, you're providing scriptural instruction and you restore them at the end. Friends, your children, those of you who have gotten disciplined diligently by your parents, are you grateful for it? You are. 
In fact, a lot of men, we will boast in what our parents have done. My dad used a belt. My dad used a crowbar, you know. <laughs> you know, we will boast in our parents because they loved us enough to, to stop us. They loved us enough that they're like, I'm not gonna let you destroy your life. Boom, and a child, they receive that as love. In fact, a child who never receives any correction, they receive that as a lack of love. You don't care where I'm going. I could run straight into a wall. Well, let me show you what that looks like. And our children rebel because they, they crave and long for that correction. They don't realize that's what they want, but they do. Well, does the Bible teach discipline anywhere else other than Hebrews and Ephesians? It's all over Proverbs. You can't read Proverbs without seeing the rod, the rod, the rod, the discipline, discipline, discipline. I'll just give you a few verses here. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 actually commands it again. Do not withhold discipline from a child. It's commanded not to. If you strike him with a rod, once again, see, what is he equating discipline with? Striking him with a rod. That discipline there isn't just timeouts. It's not just uh, a lecturing. It's discipline is a rod. He says, if you strike him with a rod, what will happen? He will not die. I always think that's funny. You know, we're not, gonna, we're not causing lasting harm is what he's saying. We're not causing lasting harm with that child by, by striking his bottom with a rod. Again, we're not talking about abusive things here, but just a, a, a calm, loving discipline. He says, strike him with a rod, he will not die. But if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from where? Sheol. It's the place of the grave. You're gonna save him from a fool's death and destroying his life. Proverbs 29, 15, it says the rod and reproof. Again, you see how rod and reproof, rod always comes before reproof. Always dumbfounds me. You got a, you got a brand new mother who's gonna try some new fangled idea of parenting because obviously what your great, 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 great grandparents did clearly was way off, right? I mean, what do your parents and grandparents know? And so they, they get a new kid and they wanna try something new that nobody's ever tried before and this is gonna work better than anything else, you know, and they're, gonna, and they're just gonna talk to their child and so they got this little two-year-old. Now, Jimmy, when you do that, it hurts mommy's feelings. You know that, right? What's Jimmy thinking? I don't care about mommy and her feelings because the Bible says we're all born foolish. The Bible says in sin, I was shaped and formed in iniquity. Our kid doesn't, he's two years old. He doesn't care about you. I'm sorry, parents, but that's the Bible, Bible says. We're born sinful. We're born selfish. And so we're talking and talking, but we're, we're throwing seed on hard ground. It's just bouncing right off. And so don't just lecture little children. You know, they need rod and then reproof. Rod and reproof give what? Wisdom. But a child left to himself, a child who is not disciplined, a child who's just allowed kind of go on, it says, will bring shame to his mother. I don't, I, I don't need to study the Hebrew on that. Your child's gonna be embarrassment to you. Not just when they're little, the kid, your kid's the one screaming on the plane, your kid's the one screaming in the store, your kid's the one pounding on the ground. Yeah, that's embarrassing then. Friends, it's far worse when your child, those same heart attitudes are in an adult body and they start destroying their life as an adult. It just brings great grief to a mother's heart and a father. Bible says that the rod and reproof will actually make them wise, not just intelligent, but godly. Proverbs 22, 15 says, folly or foolishness, let's pause there. Foolishness, we talk in Proverbs again, we're not just talking about silly kids. Ah, they all do that. We're, folly and wisdom. Wisdom is obedience to God's word, which makes you wise. Folly is disobedience to God's word, which is a foolish act. And so when we see foolishness here, it's not just silly, it's sinful. 
But this folly, this sinfulness, the Bible says it's bound up in the heart of a child. It's a word that means to tie on tightly. Sort of like if you're, you're moving something in the back of a pickup and you get one of these guys who knows how to tie a knot, you know, and he's wrapping it and he's cinching it down real good. It's, it's tied up. And he does what every other man does. Once he gets it tied down, what does he say? That's not going anywhere. You know, it's stuck. No matter how many bumps we hit, that load is safe. It's, it's staying. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. The Bible uses that term to describe sinfulness in our child's heart. They're born, the Bible says, with a sinful heart. Furthermore, it's Satan cinched that bugger down, and he goes, that's not going anywhere. It's going to take a tool, the Bible says, to remove that sinful heart from the child. And what is that tool? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline. Again, what does God equate with discipline? It's a rod. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there is hope. In the Hebrew, it literally reads, chasten your child that there be hope. If you wanna have a hopeful expectation of your child's future, the Bible says there must be discipline. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son. Will it make you a miserable household? No, the Bible says it'll give you rest and delight to your heart. I think you get the idea. Let's answer a couple questions here. When do you use the rod? I would say it's you discipline for attitude, not action. That's important. If you're, if you're a note taker, write that down. You discipline for attitude, not action. It's like God. He looks past the Pharisees' good external behavior. He looks to their heart. God wants us to look at their heart too. Not just at their behavior and what it's done, childishness. Children do silly things, don't they? And they're, they're careless. They don't think about cause and effect. The frontal lobe of their brain, I've been told, doesn't mature until they're like 26 years old. It's why your boys pay high auto insurance because they do things with cars. Okay? Children, they don't think cause and effect, and so they may do silly things on accident. So let's say you're in your house and you have this priceless Ming vase in your house. That's when you know it's expensive. It's not a vase anymore. It's a vase. And so your child, he's playing ball in the house and he knocks the vase over worth thousands of dollars. Do you spank for that offense? It depends on the situation, but I wouldn't. Now, there may be consequence. I may have him sweep it up. I may have him, you know, work it work some of it off, you know, just to show him restitution. But why didn't I discipline? Because his heart attitude was careless, but it was not rebellious. Now, same child, same situation. Let's say he was playing the ball in the house. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. you see that vase over there? You're gonna knock that over. You better not play with that ball in the house. You're gonna knock it over and break it. Next day, the child comes in. He's playing with the ball. He knocks it over and breaks it. Would you discipline for that offense? Absolutely, why? because their hard attitude was to disobey your clear direction for his life. Two, same type of situation, very different hard attitudes. So you discipline for attitude, not action. Um, how do you use the rod? The rod itself, biblically in the Hebrew, it's just a switch. It's a branch from a tree. That's what a rod means. And so God doesn't just say, grab a mic stand, you know, and go at it with your child. Grab what's convenient to you. It's a small piece of wood. And uh, with, with my parents, they, like I said, there was a spanking stick. For whatever reason, my dad thought it'd be great to paint, spray paint it black and put electrical tape around the handle. Struck fear in our hearts. Sometimes he'd get the belt out. Oh, Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he you know, whips, and I, I would get the belt. 
Uh, other parents do different things. Um, my mom used a wooden spoon, broke one over my bottom. I give her a hard time to this day. It, she wasn't abusive, it was an old wooden spoon, but I made her feel like she was abusive. That was my revenge as a child. I, and at one point in time, I, went, I dated my wife and I went into their restroom and for whatever reason, on the back of her toilet, uh, her dad had this like paddle ball paddle without the ball, you ever seen that? He drew an evil face on it, and it said, ha, 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 I'm going to get you. <laughs> he, drew the, he wrote the names of his daughters underneath it. You know, strike, it explained a lot of things, I'll tell you. Now, whatever you use, though, it's, 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 it's a piece of wood. It's a small piece of wood, and it's, that's what a, biblically a rod is. But at this point in time, that's all the Bible says about the rod. So what I'm gonna share here, if you wanna ignore it, feel free, but I'm gonna share with you using scriptural principles how we actually administered the rod to our children in a non-abusive type of way. A, we did it calmly. If we're angry, we're not ready to discipline our child. If we're angry, we're not ready to discipline our child. James 1 verse 20 says, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. In our children's discipline, even the use of the rod, our end goal is to produce holiness in that child. If we're angry, it's not gonna produce that in them. They're gonna see that as violence. You're gonna teach them to be angry because they're just seeing that you're doing this because you bug them, not because you're concerned about their well-being as a human. And so we were very careful not to do it when we're angry. And so if we are angry and that does, ha that does happen, what we would do is we would set the child down in another room and we'd let them think about what they've done. Your parents do that? Worst time of my life. It's like on the hill of a roller coaster, tick, 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 tick. You know it's coming. <laughs> and the waiting is the worst part. But you get calm, you pray, and you go in there and you use a calm voice. We don't yell at the kids when we discipline, ever. And we, we, we calmly, and we go on to point number uh, B here. Uh, we request a verbal confession. Proverbs 20, 13, those who conceal their sins, pretend it's not sin. He says, do not prosper. Uh, but those who confess and forsake, obtain mercy. Confession is what God requires. It means that we say the same thing about, as God does about something. And so often what we would do before we discipline our children, we would ask them if they understand what's happening here. Do you know why you're here? No. What did you just do? I hit my brother in the head with a truck. You know, and we'd make them confess it. Is that wrong? I don't know. You know, kids, he's pleading the fifth. He doesn't want to condemn himself. You know, but, but we talk them through it so they understand what they're doing, what's happening here. Without that understanding, without that confession, it, they, don't, they aren't able to correlate rod and reproof. And so that confession helps them to correlate the rod and the reproof. It's sort of like when my dad came home once and the dog had torn up a big box of expensive nails. And he comes home, you ever play lawn darts? Had that little hoop, they're illegal now, but a little hoop there. And he undid the hoop and he just worked that dog over like hours later. That dog had no idea what he was getting a beating for. And similarly, if we just work our kids over because we're bugged and we don't do it calmly, we don't explain and have them talk through it with us, our child cannot correlate rod and reproof. See, we were always self-controlled. We didn't just work our kids over, chase them around the house. We made them come and submit to the discipline, sort of like when Hebrews says of God, don't, re don't regard lightly the reproof of God, submit to what God is doing, acknowledge that it's for our good. And we'd make sure that our kids, they would come and we, we wouldn't chase them down, we'd make them come to us. Make them submit to it. And furthermore, um, you know, I've heard, I've heard of parents, you know, sometimes they'll just chase their kid. I, I heard a preacher once, he says, my mom disciplined us counterclockwise. 
What that meant was she'd grab a hold of one arm and the kid's running for his life and she's just hitting whatever she can hit. They're just going in circles, just working the kid over. That's out of control. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done decently and in order. And so it's a very calm experience. And it's an experience where we ask for their heart to submit to what they, you know, to what the discipline is. D is the time that you actually administer the rod itself, and that's the hard part. But understand Proverbs 20, 30 says, blows that wound. In other words, it's gotta hurt. Blows that wound do what? Cleanses away evil. And strokes make clean the innermost parts. People always ask, you know, okay, so I use a rod, but how hard and how long? I say it depends on the child, but what's the intention? It's to change their countenance. And so some children, you know, just one little, and they're done. Oh, I'm so sorry, I've offended you. I sinned against God. And, you know, and that's, that's all it took. Other kids, it's like, yeah, what do you got? You know, and so every child's a little bit different. But if, if you spank and they're laughing, that's usually a good sign it wasn't hard enough or long enough. Um, I will go furthermore, if they're angry when you're, when you're done, it wasn't long or hard enough. If they're crying through the tears and they're like, and they're seething and hissing at you, friends, it wasn't enough. And mamas, if you're not strong enough, you need to get daddy involved, okay? But it needs to be strong enough to change their countenance, blows that wound, okay? Not leaving lasting wounds, but that's what the Bible says. You know, that cleanses away the innermost parts, and so it depends on the child, but they can't be, you can't be in anger and the child cannot be allowed to be remain in anger. But once the tears begin to flow and you can see that their, their heart is genuinely sorrowful, it's at that point that we can bring in the reproof with the rod. You understand why we did this? You know, when their tears start to subside a little bit, you understand why we did this. I don't enjoy doing this. I love you. I want what's best for you. But understand this, this will happen every time you disobey. And that's the key is a child needs to know that this isn't inconsistent. A lot of times I've had parents say, I tried spanking, it doesn't work. What's wrong with that statement? I tried spanking, it doesn't work. First of all, it implies that we're pragmatic as Christians. We just do whatever works for us. But secondly, it implies also that God's word is off. We don't spank because it works. We spank because God says it's right. We don't do something because it works. We do something because it's right. And furthermore, I'd say, if you're not doing it properly, it, you're right, it won't produce the intended result because children are natural-born gamblers. If they know they can do it one time and, uh, out of five and get away with it, they're gonna gamble. Let's see, daddy needs some new shoes. Uh, and they're gonna go for it. But if you're consistent, I'm gonna tell you what, we actually did not discipline our children that often. It was consistent for a period. The child realizes, wow, they really were serious. It's every time. And then they stop. And then a little while down the road, they need a reminder but then you do it very rarely. It's because Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of men are fully set in them to do evil. So when we do not respond in discipline right away and we do not do it consistently, the Bible says we actually set in their heart a commitment to do evil things. Same thing with society. The last thing we do is E, we love our children. Discipline is not about just authoritarianism and getting our way and oh, I'm gonna work you over, I'm mad at you and I'm gonna avenge myself upon you. We wait for the child to be done crying, we explain again why we did this and then we give them the awkward hug. You know, we would bring them in and we would hug them and you know, they're stiff, I don't wanna be hugged right now, I just gotta, you know, whatever. But we do that to let them know I'm restoring you, I do this out of love. 
And then often when we could, after a period of time, we would try to involve them in something with us. Give them a little time of mourning, but then we would like, if they were really a little kid, we'd be like, hey, I wanna read a book with you. Hey, let's play together. Or it could be, hey, let's do the dishes together. Let's cook together. Let's do something together. My wife was always very good about doing that. But you, you show them that their relationship is restored to you, that this discipline is not going to usher in a cold war between you and I, that our relationship is good. And that's what God does with us. Micah seven nineteen we talked about. Uh, he, he says the Lord will again have compassion on us. Yes, God is judging you for your sin, but God's gonna love you again. And that's what we wanna communicate to our children when uh, doing discipline. The last thing I'm gonna answer here and we're done is how old, you know? I would say as far as young, you do it as soon as you can identify a sinful, rebellious spirit. Again, it's commensurate with age. You're not going out and getting a, a, a rod, a broomstick, you know, for a little itty bitty kid. It's commensurate with age, but when you, when you can identify the rebellious spirit, that's when you begin. How late do you do it? I knew a dad once who spanked a kid at 18. And as his youth pastor, I was helping him work through that difficult, shaming, dramatic experience. For us, and and again, this is gonna be my, I'm gonna set this aside, this is my opinion at this point. We stopped around age 13. Quite honestly, it really stopped much before that. Um, We found that when we did it consistently as a young child, we didn't have to do it when they were, so much when they were older. But the reason we stopped around age 13 is because that's when the Jews stopped. Why would the Jews stop at 13? It's when the children were adults now. Remember, the child, when he became 13, became a son or a daughter of the covenant. They would have a bar or a ba mitzvah. They're now an adult with adult responsibilities, but also with adult privileges. And now they get to experience life like you and I do under God and, and suffering from consequences of our sin. But there was no more rod administered at that point. And so that's why we stopped about that time. Well, I see no tomatoes on the stage yet. We're done and we can all breathe a sigh, collective sigh of relief, but parents, can I just encourage you that healthy parenting, it's not just doing one thing well. It's not just loving our kid to death. It's not just being their best friend. It's not just showing up at every soccer game. Very important, but that's not everything. The Bible wants us to balance biblically these three priorities. Time, where we instruct our children and we spend time with them. We protect their time. We love them, according to 1 Corinthians 13, but there still also has to be a very loving directed use of the rod at times or other forms of discipline as they get older, consequential discipline. And so let's just pray right now that God will give us a strong home because if we don't have strong homes, friends, we'll never have a strong church. We'll never have a strong nation. And so homes are the nucleus of spiritual development. Father, we just pray today just in thanks that you have given us a Bible that we don't have to rely on the best words of man The world, God, I understand the world is hotly hostile to everything I just said today. There may be some Christians here today who who find what I have taught today reprehensible. I pray that you would help them to see that everything we spoke today arose from the scriptures first. God, help us to be balanced in the way that we raise and rear our children. God, our our whole goal is not to create just obedient, good, godly kids, but to create responsible adults. God, give us the grace to do that. Let us help them point their heart towards you that someday when the time comes, they will bow their knee to you as Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, 
click on the link in the show notes, and we would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. If you've enjoyed today's talk, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. As promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. <laughs>